Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because party of redemption, your table is now ready. Well, hello, friends. I am glad you have joined us for this week's episode. When we recorded this conversation, it was at a very crowded restaurant in Birmingham, Alabama, about a week and a half ago. Todd and Jennifer Geralds are our special guests today, and we look forward to hearing their conversation in just a moment. But there's a lot of ambiance. There's a lot of background noise in today's recording. A few times you have to lean in to hear what is being said. As I began to prepare this, I have to say, maybe for the very first time, I really enjoyed hearing the sound of a full restaurant. It's amazing how we are experiencing so much and we don't always appreciate what's going on around us. So I, I hope you will look at all this ambiance like I do. It's like, ah, oh, it sounds so good. Can't wait to get back to that again. I hope you will take this these podcasts and I hope that you will share them because the whole idea behind Redemption's Table is to accentuate the good that is going on around us. And we need some good news. We need to tune into some good news. There's a, a verse of scripture in Colossians chapter 1. It's talking about Jesus Christ. Uh, Colossians 1.15 says that he is the visible image of the invisible God. And it talks about how everything was created by him uh, or through him and for him. All things were created. And my favorite part of it, it says, and he holds all things together. You may have thought all things are coming apart right now. Every day, it seems like we have some new news to wrap our heads around. So the next time you have the idea that things are coming apart, take comfort in this. Colossians 1.17 says, Jesus Christ holds all things together. Trust in Him. Keep looking up. Keep praying. Let Him be your hope. Keep tuning in. Got some exciting individuals coming to the table these next few weeks. Let's give it a listen, get started. Thank you again for being with us. Well, hello, everybody. We're back at the table once again, Redemption's Table. Glad you're with us, listening in, tuned in today. Tonight, we are at Village Tavern Restaurant. And I'm sitting here, been talking the last hour or so with Todd and Jennifer Geralds. Welcome to the table. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you for having us. I'm excited. Uh, Originally, I 
Jennifer, you and I were in a conference, a summit for pastors back in December, a pro-life yes. summit. Mm -hmm. I heard you share your story about talking about your family, and y'all you have, have four daughters. That's right. And uh, talking about uh, the pushback you received from, from your daughters over pro-life stance. Right. And, and that's kind of what I thought, okay, there's a, there's a story there. And then when I did some preparation before I contacted you, I realized that name's familiar. Your name was familiar to me because you're an author. That's true, too. And, and you have written how many books? Oh, I don't exactly know. Probably over 20. Wow. Are all of them devotionals? They are, well, devotionals or Bibles, the devotionals that go in Bibles. Okay. And I saw your books. I've seen your books in Lifeway and other Christian bookstores. Right. Or um, Amazon or wherever you would like to get them. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're and available they're, everywhere. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And so I saw that. And then when we were talking in the process, you said, well, you probably want to talk to my husband too, Todd, which I did. And lo and behold, Todd, you're an author. Yes, I, I am. I, I've written two books. I'm woefully behind my wife and the... Book but writing. his have a movie to go with his, so wow, yeah, that, that works out. So, and I do hold that over her head sometime if I need to. I have a movie. <laughs> you have a movie. That's, that's cool. <laughs> totally kidding. <laughs> but you wrote the book Woodlawn. That's right. Which yes. that film is based the Irwin Brothers. So. Yes, my dad was the football coach in the movie. So if people have seen the movie, the little boy that was adorable, really cute. You can tell the folks that that's inaccurate. He didn't turn out that cute, but. Um, no, that was me tagging along with my dad as a kid, and and then I followed that up with another book that was also kind of about my dad and life lessons learned from him. So um, that's kind of my background in writing. Okay, and probably about the time that this podcast hits the airwaves, uh, I know that the Irwin Brothers' new film will be in theaters. I still believe. Yes, so. we're looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. They do an amazing job with their films. Yeah. I'm excited to be sitting here with both of y'all tonight. Both of you are obviously creative people. God's at work in your life. And uh, I want to just talk a little bit about, first, you know, how did you begin? Where did you start writing, Jennifer? Where did all that come from? Oh, okay. Well, I was an English and psychology major, and my original intent was to become a counselor and to write about it. That's okay. what I thought the Lord was going to do. And he kind of has done that, but uh, I did not go the counseling route right after school. Um, I graduated from Alabama, and I just began writing. I started at Southern Living Magazine, um, writing stories for their idea house. Okay. And I married Todd right after school, and, um, and then we began moving uh, all over the place. <clears throat> and so I had to find a job that would allow me to, you know, just keep keep moving and still be working and so I just began writing at different publishing houses in the different places where we lived. I, I worked for a magazine company in, in Huntsville, Alabama. Then we moved to Nashville and I began working for a large Bible publishing company there. Okay. And uh, that's probably where I met most of my contacts that I still work with today. Um, but after we started having kids, I went home so that I could be with the kids and then just began doing work by contract. So I, that's why I have so many books. I've been doing it for over. I've been doing it for twenty years. Okay. Um, 
where you are now, of course, I met you at a, a pro-life summit for pastors in the Birmingham, Alabama area. That's right. And so I'm, I'm hearing in, in your story, as an outsider looking in, I'm hearing there's a lot of, of things going on as far as what you're feeling led of God to be involved in. Right. And so, so for both of you, here's the question, and you can answer one at a time. What, what is the heartbeat of what God is leading you in right now at this particular time in your life? Where he has me going right now is not a path that I anticipated like over a year ago. <laughs> this is, it's new, um, new to me. And it really was birthed out of a, originally out of a season of prayer and fasting that I had at Church of the Highlands. Um, <clears throat> I had, actually there was no drama happening in my house at the time. And so I had kind of a clear slate to be able to just spend that time asking the Lord, hey, would you just align my heart with yours? I want to know what's going on with you and your work and your kingdom. And I want to join you in that work. I really don't want to create work for me to do. I'm, I'm coming up on a season of life where my kids will be gone. I, I want to know what the new direction is for my life. And so that was kind of my prayer throughout those 21 days. <clears throat> and I didn't hear a clear word, which is kind of unusual for me, but I figured the Lord was just not ready to reveal it yet. And I guess it was about a month later, Todd asked me out on a date, which is was not shocking, but it was like, <laughs> I mean, it was just unusual. I like it. That's great. Awesome. And, and, and to make matters even stranger, he wanted to go see the movie Unplanned, which I was like, well, that is going to be kind of a dark movie, but okay, we, we can go see that. And, uh, and so we went and, uh, I was really, I was touched by the movie. I was kind of horrified at that her first scene and just the thought of what happens in an abortion. But when I left the movie, I was kind of disturbed by my own hardness of heart, really, I, I, because I just kept thinking, that's tragic, and that shouldn't be happening in our country, but that's really not my, not my bag. I've got four daughters who have their own problems, and I just, I, we haven't had to deal with this, and it's just one more problem in the world, and it can't be my problem. <laughs> I mean, I really was ready to just, Lord, I'm just going to dismiss this, <clears throat> except it kept sticking in my head, you know. And uh, then about a month later, um, Alabama passed that legislation that mm -hmm. was designed to make it up to the Supreme Court, you know, for the Roe v. Wade decision to be overturned. But, but what it did in effect for the state of Alabama was make abortion impossible if, if that Roe v. Wade law is ever overturned. Um, and it created such a huge stir in our home. Now. Our four girls have grown up in a Christian home. My husband and I have been leaders in our church, deeply rooted in the Word of God. Our kids have helped us plant churches. I mean, these are not kids that are, you know. But they were, these four ladies were, I mean, they're teenagers and, and young adults. They were horrified that Alabama, particularly male legislators, would take away the woman's right to protect herself basically they felt like it was a, a domineering position that they were taking um, that was cruel to the women and, and a lot of the points that you would hear you know that I'm used to hearing coming from 
you know, the more liberal uh, talking points. And uh, <clears throat> so we, you know, just began really dialoguing with them. My husband, well, Todd, you can say your reaction to I'll let you. Really okay. So, <clears throat> as I was talking to them about the value of life and, um, you know, that as children of God, we have to value people who are created in the image of God. And so we're going back and forth on, they were really championing the women mm-hmm. while I'm championing the baby. And they said, you know, that's the hypocrisy we see in the church today is that the church takes this stand of being pro-life where we're, you know, going to save these innocent children. They don't care anything about the women. You know, they just tell that woman, you can't kill that baby. You have to figure out a way. But then there's no help, no support coming along. And, uh, and they said, that's just really hypocritical. Why, why do they only care about the life of the child and not the woman? And I said, well, I'm certain that's not true, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, <clears throat> I began doing some investigating. I said, let me get back to you on that. I'm going to find out what we're doing, <laughs> how we're helping. And uh, so I wrote a letter. I mean, I really, I literally, I woke up one Saturday morning and totally felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to write this scenario I mean I I relayed the message of our conversation with the girls and what they were telling me and and I wanted to know what are we doing like if a girl were to get pregnant if one of my daughters were to get pregnant what kind of support system is in place to receive and help us so so Jennifer brought the letter to me and it basically was almost like a like an author would do a query letter like Mm -hmm. to a publisher like I here's gonna have this idea and some things and um and she was wondering because I'm because I'm in the college at the, the through the church, Highlands College. Um, she thought I'm a little more connected with some of the people there, and I would know who to send it to. So I sent it to Hamp Green, and he was very very interested in the church's response to that need. So we got it to a guy he had already been talking to about some of these things, named Ron Hoagland, who ended up reaching out to Jennifer. But the, the big thing was, just to kind of go along with her story, because mine's a different, a different story than that. We had both been wrestling with how our daughters reacted. And what God's been working into me the last couple of years, really in whatever the, the forum, is to learn to love well. Um, verse that whenever I sign a book, I put John 13, 34, and 35 by this, the world will know that you're my disciples, by the love you have one for another. The world won't know that we're Jesus' disciples. They may know that we go to a certain church or whatever else by what we're against, but they will know that we're His disciples by the love we have. And so I, I'm motivated by that. And so a lot of the things that Jennifer wanted for these women and that our daughters were talking about was how do we love them well? And not just the women, but the, the, the fathers of these children. And um, earlier when we were talking before we were on the mic, I mentioned Eric Little. And when I run, I feel his pleasure from the movie Chariots of Fire. Great movie. I love um, that. But um, I, I really do believe that God's designed people uh, for a purpose. And that, that for him, it was running fast, you know, and going to China as a missionary. I think that he's designed us that way. And... Um, I have a real desire to help people 
fit to find what their fit is. Where, what part of the body of Christ are they? Are they a hand, foot, nose? And so we started realizing that there was some overlap and some things that we wanted to possibly do. Mine can be with these women, with the, the, the fathers, with people coming out of prison, with any number of people who need to know that, yeah, you may have seasons of your life where you just do a job, but God's got more for you. Right. And, um, and to help people find that. So that's kind of where God's been directing me. The guy I mentioned to you before, Chris Quarter, is in a ministry where that's kind of what they do, but they do that around marriage and understand how you're wired so that you communicate better. And we both kind of been talking about that's the church. We need to communicate that love of Christ with, with our mouths, but also with all that we're doing as well. But I'll let you get back to your story. Okay. <laughs> so after I met with Ron Hoagland, who is our outreach director, it turns out that a lady had come to him a year prior pitching this idea to him that pregnancy centers have long been in this frontline battle, you know, against abortion and trying to rescue babies and the mothers and everything else. But they have felt this great lack of presence from the local church um, in their in their mission. Not to say that they don't receive financial support because a lot of churches really do pour some, some financial support into them, but in terms of the presence of the body of Christ, like the members, the actual church members, um, that's kind of missing. And so they have, um, they've just been on the front lines alone. But there is a, a uh, group called CareNet, this uh, large parachurch ministry, national, that had produced a curriculum designed to train church members to know how to appropriately and very gracefully talk to men and women who are in pregnancy situations trying to make decisions. Um, and so a lady had put the, <laughs> given this curriculum to Ron and said, told him all about it, and he was 100% on board. He said, that sounds like a fantastic plan. I don't have any leaders. I don't have any way to implement it. I've, you know, I've just taken on a new role myself. I've got 20 hats that I'm wearing. I can't do another thing. So he just began to pray that God would raise up a leader to, to do it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know any of that when I stepped into his office, but he was smiling at me kind of weirdly the whole time that <laughs> I'm talking to him. And, uh, and, you know, I learned that piece of information and I realized he's looking, you know, at me. Handoff. Yes, yeah, so I'm like, oh, that's me. <laughs> I'm the one. And I was like, I... I mean, I'm already a mother of four. I've, I've said this. I write. I was like, I don't know that I can take on anything else. I said, so let me just, and yet at the same time, I feel like the Lord is obviously directing me, mm -hmm. but it's such a direction I was not anticipating that I was like, for real? I mean, surely uh, this is, <laughs> surely you've got it wrong, Lord. I'm sure you meant to pick somebody more involved or, you know, I just don't get it. So I took the curriculum home and I watched it. It's a six DVD series. Very, very well done. Roland Warren is the president right now of CareNet and, um, and Tony Evans kind of backs up the project. And they both do a lot of talking and teaching in it. And then it's also taught by nurses and, uh, and doctors and then people who have experienced abortions and who've been in the situation themselves. But very professionally done, but also 
amazingly full of grace and love. Like it, and as a psychology major, I really appreciated the fact that they use good, sound counseling techniques in, in trying to teach communication skills, so that so that all the hard work that the pregnancy centers are doing, developing their clients and encouraging them and, and instructing them, doesn't get thrown to the wind when they walk into the church doors um, because they've had that experience happen. You know, there's just not continuity and care or even verbiage, really, because, you know, church members may be coming at it from a more political perspective or, you know, and it can come across harsh and, you know, uncaring or whatever, judgmental. And, uh, and so after I went through the curriculum myself over the summer, that's when I really began to feel the Lord softening my heart and saying, this is not just somebody else's issue. This is my body. This is my bride that is struggling with this secret hidden sin, this, um, this wound that needs to be addressed. And, and it has to be addressed by the entire body. It can't be just, you know, those people who, you know, out there that have dealt with it. And at the time, I still kind of had that there out there <clears throat> perspective. But then the Lord arranged for me to be able to go to a CareNet conference, which just so happened to be happening right after I finished the curriculum. And so I flew to St. Louis, Missouri and attended several days. And I was in a room with over 1,200 pregnancy center directors and their staff um, and other leaders in the pro-life movement. But each person that was coming from a different walk, a different area, when they would get up at that podium and speak, they all talked about how much they missed the presence of the church. Like, where is the church in this? And, uh, and I... I just realized how important it is to make that connection with our churches so that it's not just, they likened it to pregnancy centers are like the emergency room where they're taking in people in a critical state of need and they are doing phenomenal care for them and providing for them, but they are not equipped to do long-term uh, help. But the church is totally designed, if, it, if it's a good church, if it's a Bible-based church, it is totally designed for lifelong discipleship, which is critical to helping these young women and men exit out of a wrong pattern or a um, broken pattern of living to an abundant life, the real life that Christ has called us to. I mean, the, we are the the avenue to freedom and to healing for them if we make ourselves available but we have to be available and we have to be willing to um, acknowledge the need and that, that there's this thing out there <clears throat> and I think that was another surprising thing that I encountered at that conference was that over 50% of the abortions that happen are, are being performed on people who claim to be Christians mm-hmm. and two out of five women are regularly attending church. It's not like some, you know, atheist out there who doesn't care about anything. These are people in our pews. Like if you look out at the congregation, this is this is us. This is our body, our members that are struggling with this. So we have and and why are they getting abortions? Lifeway did a study that showed that the church is really the last place people will turn to for help because they anticipate 
judgment. They anticipate um, that they probably don't have any resources. You know, they, they may look around and say, well, I don't see anything here to help me out, you know. And so they go where they can. And a lot of, there's so much shame and, and you know, especially in church settings, they're like, I'm not <laughs> going to talk to people about this. And, I mean, even now, knowing the statistics, there are just scores and scores of women and the men who helped take the women there who are not able to address this hidden secret that they have that really impedes their ability to be free and to know the Lord and to walk in that kind of freedom. So that's now my my great desire. I mean, it, the communication issue was big for Todd and I in our marriage, mm-hmm. and that's what we had it's been talking with you. Now, so <laughs> we're getting a whole lot better. What we're better at now <laughs> is learning to address even the hard things, mm-hmm. just to be willing to talk about it. And that's what we're learning is needed in the church as a whole. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. The topic of suicide and depression used to be taboo, but I would say in the last couple of years, it's become a little bit more mainstream, and, and people because probably because so many people are suffering from it, that, that you're now starting to hear sermons about it and, and have some some support in places. But it just hasn't happened yet in the realm of unplanned pregnancies and uh, abortions yet. Um, And so that's what we're hoping to see happen is for a dialogue within the church to begin to happen for support really from the pulpit, but not on... Not on taking a political stand necessarily, but on seeing this as a discipleship issue with women and, and uh, men in the church. Field, even within the church, um, I probably need that just a little. I mean, just yeah, seeing. <clears throat> I think that what happens with certain sins is we categorize them, and the word tells us that if you're guilty of any of these, you're guilty of all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you may as well. You know, um, and it's not to minimize the life of the child, but to treat a woman who has had an abortion any different from anybody who walks through that door is is that sin? Because Jesus made it real clear: if you have been angry with your brother, or if you are angry with your brother, brother, you are guilty of murder. Okay, who has not been angry? Raise your hand. So, let's don't throw them away because of that. Let's realize that they were in a position that, fortunately, I've not been in, or or, or Jennifer's not been in. But there are a lot of people in that position who don't know where to go. What God's called us to is to love those people. We speak truth in love. And we have to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us, yet with gentleness and respect. And so much of what we're known for is not that. And and in my own battle with depression over the years, I had one particular day where um, God made it really, really clear to me what the body of Christ is all about. And there were three guys from my, my church at the time who came by my house on a day that I was really, really down. And you, I've talked to you about your, your life experiences. You've been in some of these places before. But anybody who, there, there's sadness, which circumstances in life can make someone sad. And depression is another ball game. I mean, because you may be depressed when circumstances should say you should be okay. 
and you may be really still sad and really down. But if you're in true depression, you are no fun to be with. So if somebody comes to see you, they're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it because they love you and they care about you. And I was really down. These three guys came to see me. And I remember them leaving and me kind of almost kind of shaking my fist at God. Saying, why don't you love me like that? And it was as if he was in the room with me. And he said, that was me. That's my body. And, I, and, I, and it became more and more clear to me and has become more and more clear to me over the last several years that that wasn't an accidental, you know, illusion that, that Paul made to us being the body of Christ and that we are the body of Christ. No, that's an intentional representation of what we are. We're the physical manifestation of God's love on earth. There was the cross. That was how we saw it. And now actively, it's through bodies that we physically see love. You know, a body sits with someone who's lost a loved one, brings food. We're in the South, you know, brings food to their house when something happens or somebody's sick, shakes a hand, pats a back, hugs, kisses a cheek. Any of those things requires a body to do it. And so God's intention is really that we are hands and feet, that we as the church body love people and we manifest that and so when these people are going through a tough time that's what we're called to I mean it's um, there is no judgment I mean if we want to again that doesn't minimize the loss of these children that's we're for stopping that but for a woman to be able to know that you know what whatever decision I make the church is there for me Yeah, that's huge Yeah, Uh, doesn't mean that we're for it but we don't make the decision. I don't make a decision whether Jennifer sins or not. Mm-hmm. I can't make her decisions for her. She has to make those decisions. But as a, her brother mm-hmm. and her husband, I'm called to love her anyway. Yes. And to speak the truth. Yeah. I mean, not, not to shy away from the, yeah. the truth. And that was one of the things that I really like the approach they take in the Making Life Disciples. They are presenting all the options, you know, wanting to really educate the women and men on what they're going to walk into. Like, so, okay, if you're you're abortion-minded, let's talk about abortion. What what does that procedure look like, and what can you expect to find when you walk in? You know, and they just just laying the facts out there, and then also talking about what they aren't going to find at Planned Parenthood discussion on. Okay, and then after the abortion, what can you expect? Well, you may suffer, as many women do, significant psychological and spiritual repercussions uh, you know, that, that last years and years and years beyond the actual procedure. You know, they're not going to hear that from somewhere else, but this curriculum helps train people to know how to present it in a way where you're not you know, bashing some poor young scared girl over the head with something that you know she already maybe even knows but it, it is presenting truth in a very loving compassionate way and saying you know if you make this choice we have some great post-abortion recovery Bible studies where we can come um, you know we, we're going to be here with you though you know, no matter what, and it, that's kind of what Todd's talking about. That we, we've we've got your back. You belong. You know, you are important to God, and, and we're, yeah, gonna, we're in. We're yeah, in this. We're in this. 
with you one way or the other. We believe the great choice would be for you to put that baby up for adoption, for you to keep the baby, for y'all to possibly marry or to co-parent if it's, you know, that, or whatever, but, but to allow that baby to live. We do believe that's the best choice. Yeah. Um, and regardless, this is your choice and we're here. Yeah. You know, you're letting love lead the way, but truth is right there all along. But, you know, love and truth are going together in this. You know, going back to talk about the church dynamic of things that people have received from the churches through the years, or, or you think, well, there's certain things you can talk about there and certain things you can't. I know Scripture says that uh, when we uh, come to Christ and surrender our lives to Christ, we are made new creations. And is that newness instant? Absolutely. But is that perfected? No. We've got a long ways to go. And I think there's this idea, uh, a wrong idea, a wrong, wrong concept, that now I'm a believer and uh, I'm taken care of, or if I'm not, I just don't say anything about that lest anything. The idea of that everybody's there supposed to live these perfect lives, and the reality is that you open up your Bible, you will find that's not true in Scripture. That's right. And, um, and, but a lot of times people just shut down, and, and the longer we shut down, uh, to be, the less authentic we are, I think, my opinion, the more critical we become in others. Oh, absolutely, because we have to be. Yeah. I mean, because if we're not, then we don't have our record either. I mean, I think that that's, I think that we, we, we can't be authentic. So, because we've got this junk that if they knew, they wouldn't love me. And so we think that everybody else has that too. And when we see somebody who lets their garbage out there, I mean, the funny thing about that is I think that we all have this idea that if we, if somebody, if people knew, if I shared this, and there's a time and a place to share. doesn't mean you give everybody all your junk. <laughs> and there's stuff that nobody but God needs to hear. You know, but, but the, the, the miss is that we think by keeping that, self, that stuff to ourselves, we appear stronger. It's the exact opposite. When, when you are strong enough to say, man, this is the garbage I got in my life, mm -hmm. that draws people to you. They're like, man, that guy, I mean, you immediately think, that guy's got it together. And you're like, he's got it together by telling you how bad he doesn't have it together. You know, so, I don't know. Yes, but just like how grace and truth fit together, admitting, um, you know, our weaknesses and being vulnerable and authentic is is part of the equation and yet God also puts his spirit in us a spirit of power and discipline and sound mind and he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness so we also have these benefits from belonging to Christ that others don't have and so when we risk vulnerability in the context of community and come together and really encourage one another like the scripture says to build one another up and, and be there that's when we begin to see the strength of christ manifested in the church yeah. well that's what you know paul said that i glory in my weakness because in my weakness he is he is strong that it's it's when we allow it ourselves to be taken out of it 
that's when the Holy Spirit can really work through us because it's about Him. Right. You know, I mean, throughout Scripture, He used broken, really messed up people. And and we say, well, David, a hero, you know, I, I, we can go through all of these, you know, uh, and, it, and it doesn't, not a one of them was a, a hero because of them. Right. They were available. That would be, you know, um, and some of them were not that available. I mean, if you think about Paul's conversion, I mean, Paul was not available. Yeah, he was God. not on God's chart <laughs> on that moment when he got the yeah. bright light. Yeah, and, and God made him available, you know. And um, so I think that's... It's, I, go ahead. Well, another thing that I learned at that CareNet conference, they had the AXIS team come. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with them, mm -hmm. but they yeah. produce a lot of material that helps parents in particular connect with kids, you know, the, the Gen Zers and the, um, some millennials, but they, they just, they, they help us understand those generations. Um, Todd and I being, what are we, Gen Xers, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. But... But part of the reason why so many young people are, I think the numbers may even be up to 80% once they go off to college, go away from the church, is because they just sense there's a lot of talk and not a lot of uh, practical application, what's being said, you know, they... And the younger generations are all about action. Let, let me see your faith by what you're doing, right. and then I'll, you know, then I'll start to listen to you. And that it really is a heart of compassion. Even when my girls were arguing against me and against all the pro-life things, they were arguing out of a heart of compassion for the women. They're like, we really care about these women, and y'all don't. So, you know, we're going to stand our ground for their sake. And they really saw that as a, and I could still see the mercy of Christ in what they were saying. It was just not the full picture. You know, they were just missing. Yeah, part of the truth. Yeah, which Satan's great at that. At taking a little bit of, a little bit of biblical truth, a little bit of love, a little bit of whatever, and then just putting his spin on it that takes it out of the realm of. Um, and so that's why it's, I think it's, it's incredibly pivotal for the church to become involved, not just a handful of members, but really for the whole church to be well-versed in the verbiage of grace and the, the vision of discipleship of, you know, who is out there that needs, you know, a life, uh, mentor basically um, and whether it's a you know a family that's facing an unplanned pregnancy or family with mental health challenges or you know whatever it is end of life issues uh, they say from the womb to the tomb all the life issues yes. that we face yes. you know we need to have people in the church coming alongside to to walk through this with people not necessarily just discussing it discussion is important you know in a pulpit you know from a sermon setting but even our pastor says most of what you hear from me you'll forget and, and we have a great pastor yeah. you know it's not the sermons that people remember it's how you made me feel it's, it's you know your influence your relationship in my life how that's what makes a lasting impression and that's if we really want to see the gospel go forward in these upcoming generations and we really want to see you know these young people reached and and just around the world we've got to change 
kind of the traditional Stoic way we've approached Christianity. Um, we've, we've got to we've got to get in step with the Spirit. Right. And I, and I see one of the things through both of y'all in in what you are doing, you with helping people find you know what they're gifted and called to do and their strengths and then bringing them to that, and then you with the uh, with the pro-life issue issue and helping the church see the importance of discipleship. Well, you both are disciples. You both have been discipled, and it's a beautiful thing. To me, the most beautiful thing I see in the church right now is this groundswell of disciples rising up from the pews because before, I think, for so many years, the mindset of many churches has been to look to leadership. You tell us what to do. You lead us in it. We'll follow you. It's not our idea. It's not our heart, but we'll do it out of obligation. And you're seeing God's Spirit stir your heart for this and your heart for this. And, and there's, the, there's where it becomes personal and real. I heard, or not heard, I read Philip Yancey again, was talking about him earlier in his book, Vanishing Grace, and he had a friend tell him that the world is still listening to believers, but the believers they are listening to are three types. They're listening to pilgrims, those who are on journey, and they don't have it all figured out, but they're trusting God. Then they're trusting in, or they're listening to activists, those who are acting their faith, living their faith, and then they're listening to artists. Yeah. Those are the ones yeah. that... Uh, that have the world's attention because that's more than just making a statement but sitting back and doing nothing. So I, I love what I see in both of your lives together. I think that when you think about that, that's who that's who everyone listens to. Whether I mean, really and truly, Christians or otherwise, it's the it's the doers. You know, I mean, that that people want to see folks who are pursuing what they believe. Yeah. You know, whatever it is, and I, I mean. I will listen to an atheist talk to me about. I mean, the, unfortunately for them, a lot of times some of what they say is real circular, and and so they'll lose me uh, with not with the not with the intellectual you know robustness, but the lack of it um, in many cases, or the lack of intellectual curiosity. But I think that everybody looks for that in whatever realm. I think it pulls people. But one thing I wanted to say that it's I think is. It's related to what what I, I have been uh, seeing God kind of pull me toward. It's directly related to making life disciples and and the vision that we have there with with what Jennifer's doing so much of. Um, but it, around abortion, around suicide, around depression, around people discovering their life purpose and and those things. I think that the enemy today is. Um, doing what he's done for thousands of years and that is he's he's causing people to um, lose their identity that that being made in the image of God right I think that even in the very beginning you know when did God really say and, and really the whole idea there was does God does he know best um, or is he holding out on you you know um, and in the moment that we doubt that, we, we, we lose some of our identity as children of an all-loving, all-knowing, all-good God. And so I think the enemy has attacked. And you can look at just the, the struggles and the wrestling with gender identity and sexuality and, uh, and the, the, with suicide and these things. Because the, what the enemy wants 
he wants to win a battle that he knows he's losing. Right. And how does he do that? Well, I, we are his image bearers. If he can destroy that, whether it is through a complete lack of identity as a child of God, or through a, a you know a suicide, or whatever it is, or through the death of these babies, mm-hmm. I think that that's where he's attacking us. And as a, as a culture, people don't know who they are. And if if we embrace as a culture that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, yeah. that before you were born, when you were before you were in your mother, you know, before he knitted you together in your mother's womb, he knew you. And to value that, that that means something. And in Genesis one, that he made all these animals, and then he said, "Let us make man in our image." That's that's the only thing that you know was said of any other no other creatures would say that you know we're special yeah and but we behave as though we are not and our culture has embraced this idea that we're just another evolved animal um, and the enemy loves that yeah and the church needs to embrace the fact that we have an opportunity to tell people you're you're a lot more than that. You're really special. Yeah. And it, and whether you mess up, whether you've had an abortion, whether you're considering an abortion, you got pregnant outside of, of marriage, whatever. You're dealing with depression and you go to church and everybody's happy and joyful. Guess what? Millions and millions and millions of people are dealing with that. You're not alone. You're made in the image of God and there is so much more for you than just the, the quote, trouble that you're dealing with right now. And I think that that's where all this comes together for people to realize that God has a specific reason you're one of the seven billion. Yeah. <laughs> you, alone. There's nobody like you. And that there's a reason for that and a God behind that. So. I guess the last thing that I would like to say is um, the other critical factor that I learned for women that are. Um, facing an unplanned pregnancy more influential than a pastor than a mother than um, anything else is the man in her life what he has to say if the father of her child is supportive she's most likely to keep it Um, if he's not she's most likely to choose abortion and that's why it's also super important that men get involved with mentoring men um, because that's something that a woman can't do and that is um, that's a critical part of creating the total picture the 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 whole life approach that God wants um, for families even if the woman and the man end up not marrying still for that discipleship component to be present among the men um, is really important and I think up until this point all of this has kind of been viewed as a woman's issue mm-hmm. because she is the one having to bear the brunt of the responsibility, but but God just didn't design us to be islands like that. I mean, men are a part of it, and, and they're going to be part of the, the healing, too. Can't be done without. Mm-hmm. Plus, men who take part in abortions, whether they're funding it or driving the girl to it or whatever, suffer almost equally. Um, statistics show that they suffer almost the same amount of depression and anger, a lot of um, underlying 
in fact, even in prisons, you'll find there's a huge correlation between um, violence and domestic uh, domestic violence and, and abortions. Um, so it's all related. We're all in this together. It's, this is a body of the Christ issue that we need to face together. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how God continues to lead both you, Jennifer, and you, Todd, and, and new books coming up, perhaps through this. I mean, it's unlimited what he may have uh, in store. It's truly accurate when it says that his word is like a, a lamp unto our feet. Yes. Because with that kind of image, we only have enough light to take a step or two. Yeah. And I could not imagine the steps that I have taken where I am to this day to even be here at this table, going back several years back, nor could, I don't believe, any of the three of us. So it's been right. a delight to talk with you all, share with Likewise. you. I appreciate your transparency, your your uh, just your time together. And I, my favorite takeaway from the table so I now have two new friends, and that's yeah. the best yes. part of that's it. Right. Absolutely. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. I sure. appreciate it. So I'll be looking forward to checking out your books that you've already written, but also, you know, as we continue and the we dialogue. We brought you some. Oh, yeah. wow, wow, wow. Well, thank you. Yeah. Wow. Uh, now I'm really, now I'm, oh, that's awesome. Uh, and I uh, and I just, I just look forward to what God's doing. You know, hopefully, I, I, every podcast guest, I've said, you know, there's probably another conversation here down the road and so I'll look forward to however God crafts that and how, how, yeah. how it is so that's too. we're here yeah. we'd love to do that yeah. so you can buy us dinner again yeah I would love to do that yeah, cause that was, oh by the way we haven't even talked about the food where, where, where are we eating tonight oh we're at the Village Tavern yeah. in Birmingham, Birmingham Alabama yeah. Yeah. and what did you have I had French onion soup and spinach salad pretty good yeah. we're kind of two peas in a pot I had the same thing but I added some uh, seared uh, tuna, sashimi, or ahi uh, tuna to mine. So, yeah, it was really good. When I had, and I had, thanks to you, you, you said wedge salad. I was like, I haven't had a wedge salad in a long time, but I love wedge salad. So I had that with the ahi tuna. But I, I deviated from the soup. I had uh, I had the New England clam chowder, which is some of the best I've ever had. So really? thank you for suggesting. It was a good place to eat. And, uh, I was going to say one thing, and this might just be a P.S. That um, that one thing you said though about the the church, right? Seeing people coming up from the pews and seeing the the movement of disciples within the church, and and I would I would like to say really just because it's something I really appreciate about my church at Church of the Highlands. That is actually a huge part of the design of what Church of the Highlands really is the, the purpose in what we're doing there and that is they they will not initiate ministry unless it has begun organically usually through the small groups process um, so everything that you we have this huge freedom conference every year mm-hmm. that was a small group mm-hmm. and um, so all this that, that happens is, is very intentional. I think that that's, that's been a good learning for me. I do think that anything has to have support from the pulpit. Right. I think that if it's not coming from there, it's going to be really hard for anybody to mobilize behind uh, a lot of that. But I think that um, the church has always been the, the body and the pastors, they lead and they cast vision and they do these things. But if it's going to happen out there, it's got to be the people in the church, you know, who live 
out here, you know, out in the in the world. So, anyway, appreciate you saying that. No, you're welcome. Thank y'all for coming. For those of you listening, you know we'll be right back here on Monday morning, 7 a.m. You hear the words, Party of Redemption, your table is now available. And until then, we'll see you next time.